You saved my life. And in return, I'll spare yours. For now. You're a monster, Zork. I know. Welcome to the Dime for Scale Movie Club. On today's show, we'll be discussing the 1997 French space cartoon, The Fifth Element. I'm your host, Neil T. in Merry Old England. On today's show, I'm joined by Dime for Scale Movie Club members, Todd Brisket in Austin, Texas. To make your flight as short as possible, our flight attendants are switching on the sleep regulator, which will regulate your sleeping so your sleep is regulated in the way sleep regulated, regulated sleeping is regulated for sleep so you can sleep in a regulated fashion during flight. <laughs> Paul Christian Glenn in uh, Nebraska plays hope <laughs> and from Rhode Island it's Stephen Greenwell what's wrong with you what are you screaming for chicken good okay so now this was your uh, this is your choice Paul and did you choose it because you love uh, you love a bit of fifth element or you uh, laugh at a bit of fifth element I chose it because People have enjoyed this movie for, I don't know, what, 20 years now almost? Yeah. And I remember seeing it and hating it with every fiber <laughs> of my being. And, that much? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, it, I mean, it's one of those go-to stories when people talk about films you nearly walked out of or whatever. I really, really hated this movie. Um, so, I don't know. I thought it'd be a good one to revisit for the show. You know, give me an excuse to see it again with maybe some people who, who don't detest it as much as I do. So is this your first time seeing it since since you first saw it? Is that right? Yes. Yep. First time since the theater. Okay. You saw it in the cinema. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's been, this has been uh, uh, cited as, uh, by some critics, as uh, the worst summer blockbuster ever, which I think is a bit harsh, isn't it? Ooh. Yeah. Seems like there have been worse movies that are summer blockbusters than this. Like Transformers mm-hmm. movies comes to mind. I think there's worse movies almost every year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Transformers is way worse. And that's even in the same genre, I guess, as this. Well, I have to say, I was I was pleasantly surprised. My wife loves this movie, so she was excited to watch it again. And uh, going in with fresh eyes and maybe with low expectations, I was pleasantly surprised. It's way better than a lot of the garbage that we get these days any of those gi joe or transformer movies or battleship or you know any of that stuff yeah i was talking to paul uh the, the other day actually uh, um off air kind of thing and i said uh i think the last time i watched this was a few years ago i was annoyed by it and this time i found it a lot of fun actually i think there's one particular scene i didn't like and that kind of put me off i think but the rest of it's a lot of fun what scene was that yeah the one scene i didn't particularly like was all the scenes with uh, chris tucker <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> oh, okay. It's almost unbearable. Come on. Ooh. Why are you why are you such an oppressor? Why are you such why are you so white? I just I don't like black people with penis hair. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's his hair is uh, the hair of a dickhead, isn't he? Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I am on the opposite side of the spectrum where I like every scene Chris Tucker is in in this movie. <laughs> And I, I, I'm not, I'm not having a go at you either. I, <laughs> I think the movie is so boring until he actually shows up. No, 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 no,
Yeah, up until that point, it's just it's two people who can't speak English. <laughs> Bruce Willis and Mila Jovovich. Oh, yeah. what though? Chicken, chicken good. Yeah, that's good. Chris Tucker is the first one with any personality to appear on the screen in this movie. Actually, he's the only one with any personality. Well, Father Father Vito was okay, but everybody else is just a dullard. <laughs> I think uh, I think Bruce Willis's personality is that he doesn't have any personality. You don't want to see Bruce Willis <laughs> with a personality, right? That's the whole point of Bruce Willis. Yeah, when, I guess when he has some personality, that's when you get Hudson Hawk. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think he was coming off things like Hudson Hawk and what's the other one he was coming off? I can't remember. Um, when he was offered this, and I think he originally turned it down because they'd been so wacky, and this was obviously completely wacky. Um, but then he read the script and said, oh, okay, then. Well, it's completely wacky, but he is the straightest straight man dullard that there is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this was just two years after Die Hard with a Vengeance. So I'm assuming that some exec was sitting around saying, hey, we paired him up with a wisecracking black guy a couple years ago and it worked great. It'd be basically the same thing, right? Uh, does he have many scenes with uh, with Chris Tucker, though? It's pretty much in every Chris Tucker scene. Is he? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, Chris Tucker, it's odd because I thought he was a bigger part of this movie, but really Chris Tucker's only in the back half. He's He shows yeah. up an hour in, and for for that last hour, though, he is in pretty much every scene. He shows up an hour in and doesn't stop talking for the rest of the movie. <laughs> My man. Yeah, this this is the film that propelled him to, to a successful cinema career. <laughs> and by that, I mean Rush Hour. Yeah, yep. Rush Hour 2, right? Yep. And I think there's even, is there a third rush hour? I feel like there is. There is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I was familiar with Chris Tucker from the wonderful little indie flick called Friday. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Did Friday come out before this or after this? It did. I feel it like... came out in 95. Oh, wow. That's where one of my favorite sound drops of all time is from. I bet y'all drinking that wine too, aren't you? You're smoking them tweeds and everything. Wearing the old clothes all half off your ass. What the hell's going on today? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He sounds different in that clip. Well, that I mean, that's not Chris Tucker. I'm saying the clip is from Friday. But speaking of Friday, um, this movie is, you know how Idiocracy is cutting edge with uh, Terry Crews as President Comacho, which is a little preview of a movie coming up next episode, right? But uh, in this one, we have Tiny, Tiny Lister from uh, Friday as the president. Oh, yeah. I like to think of him as Zeus. Oh, I do too. I was just going to say that. <laughs> no holds barred. What's he's using? What's what's that one? Oh, no holds barred. It's a a classic. Oh, uh, how could I have movie? <laughs> <laughs> is it wrestling? I'm guessing it's no. Or is yeah, it that arm, movie is is, one, is on the short list of movies that we should watch. Right. Mm-hmm. What is it? A wrestling or arm wrestling? One of the two, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you should watch it, Neil. <laughs> Uh, it's uh hulk hogan's in that one yes yes mm-hmm. and hulk hogan is wrestling for people's lives how are they spelling holes is that h-o-l-e-s <laughs> is, that, is it is it the kind of film that i haven't seen because i'm not into that kind of film it's yeah. a kind of film that i don't think anybody has seen unless they were a big wrestling fan back in 1980 whatever 1980 hell <laughs> It came out in 89, and for someone, they had, like, actual matches promoting this with uh, Tiny Lister. 
he is not a wrestler. He is just a tall man. So yeah, <laughs> that is that is his shtick. Is he is a very large black man? <laughs> yeah, actually, Grantland had a a pretty good article on Tiny Lister. Uh, I want to say it was a year ago where it he talked about all of his uh, problems. Like, I guess he had been in some financial problems recently and had almost gone to jail, that sort of thing. Um, it was Ooh. pretty good. Was He was in the Dark Knight, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah. For like two seconds. <laughs> I think you're, you're missing, also missing, when we're talking about the star of this movie, uh, one and Luke Perry. His name popped up in the credits, opening yeah. credits. And Luke he's, Perry. He's really? very highly billed for being in the movie for three minutes. He's not. Yeah, he's in that, just that first scene, isn't it, really? The first couple of scenes, at least. Um, this, isn't this like right when he, he was coming off all of his 90210? Yeah, 902. It has to be, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's the, that's, the, that's the kind of billing that, um, you know, uh, and Michael Caine, you know, and Lawrence <laughs> Olivier, and Luke Perry. Well, Perry you know, going back to the whole uh, He's got a the good list agent. of dullards in this movie, the list of dullards in this movie, Luke Perry actually was was decent as the uh, as the snarky little assistant. Mm. You know, in his a lot three minutes of screen time. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, kind of a pointless role, though, right? I mean, really, you remove that character, you lose nothing. I went back and rewatched, I rewatched the intro to this movie, and the whole intro with the uh, professor looking at the hieroglyphics means nothing in the long... You know, the whole the whole of the movie, it's it means nothing. Um, well, him, what him you've got is you've got humans uh, like Luke Perry sitting around as proxies of the audience, I suppose. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of weird robot type, big fat guys. Well, aliens. Yeah, I mean, it does in, right? set up a bunch of exposition, though, right? I mean, this is where we learn that three hundred years later, the evil's coming back, and. That the four elements are what protect us and all that. We get that sort of info dump right there in that scene. Yeah, but then they repeat it throughout the movie, which yeah, that's true. I think <laughs> I think what that's what Brisket's getting at. Where they could have cut the first ten minutes, and they, there's still plenty. It's it's weird. This movie kind of over explains as compared to a lot of these movies, where it's like, oh, what what's happening? I say they over explain the the stones and the fifth element, but they don't really explain uh, what this ultimate evil is that's coming to destroy like the well you know for the whole movie the bad guy is zorg and mm-hmm. his henchmen but then oh at the tail end oh um there's a huge uh demon planet that is going to eat earth <laughs> and that's on screen for all of 30 seconds yeah that's what i was gonna say is for all the over explaining that this movie does how come i don't know what the hell is going on I, oh, I have no clue what I, the whole point yeah. of anything is. I assume that it was just me not really, because with these stupid films, I tend to not really bother trying to follow the plot. So I assumed it was me not trying to follow the plot. I didn't really understand the thing with the big planet and stuff. Mm. Mm. Well, did I miss something or is it ever explained what the significance of the elements is? Why the, the fire, water, air, whatever? Is it just a form of guffins to make everybody chase yeah for the whole so movie. they can uh so why do they stop this thing so it gives you a nice cool effect at the end with the uh the pyramid thingies or those sort of block mm. thingies those they're kind of jenga they're playing jenga at the end aren't they to save the world mm. <laughs> a little bit of legos <laughs> yeah they they don't really explain like oh why why these four blocks what what makes them special like that kind of thing so they are pretty much it's uh, jenga colon the armageddon edition <laughs> <laughs> 
They also, <laughs> to to Brisket's point here, uh, the demon planet can apparently make phone calls and make Zorg bleed from his <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. Make Zorg bleed yeah, from that's his why nose. That, but, better, than, uh, well, better than Paul. He can't I had make a phone call. I had to do some some research, some backstory on why Zorg had his motivations. And apparently once uh, the demon planet Ultimate Evil ate those satellites, it, it reused them to contact Zorg. <laughs> oh, that sounds a bit like Star Trek. You remember the first Star Trek movie? Yeah. Sort yeah, V'ger. V'ger. <laughs> you know, that was one of the things I remember distinctly from the first time I saw this movie that irritated me so badly was... That Zorg is in cahoots with this big evil thing that's coming to eat the planet. And he's apparently, as far as I can tell, in it for money. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that someone with enough business savvy to create an entire empire would be willing to trade his life and the life of everyone on the planet for some more money. Mm. Well... You know, in my in my backstory research, uh, Zorg is pretty much mind washed by uh, the ultimate evil via those phone calls, um, and uh, really? I think he's not in his right mind. So he, you know, his natural intention is to collect money, but he does it because the ultimate evil wants him to get the stones, get them stones. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. I don't think you'd be able to tell from our description of the plot that this was written by uh, Luc Besson when he was sixteen. Could you? Oh, Luc Besson, Luc Besson, yeah, a young Luc, Luc Besson. Besson. <laughs> <laughs> he's well regarded, right? Uh, he's. I think. Um, yeah. I was reading For up on him, and he comes from the. He's one of the sort of progenitors of the uh, the French new French uh, movie style called Cinema du Luc. Which is all of obviously all about visuals. So I think the visuals mm-hmm. he he creates in his movies are really impressive. But the plot wise, uh, didn't he just direct? What? Because he doesn't direct much anymore. He, he mainly produces because he's got a like a big production company. Oh, he just but, did that one with Scarlett Johansson. That's what I was saying. I think he's. I think that's kind of a return to directing. Um, and it that does look fucking fantastic. It does look amazing, even if you're not a fan of the movie itself. I was actually. Really, you were a fan of that movie. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Lucy? It's pretty stupid. Oh, when you're actually trying to work out the logic, it's pretty stupid. But I think it's probably similar to this movie. It's uh, a lot of fun and looks amazing. Sure. <laughs> you know, the movie that he directed before Lucy was The Family, starring uh, Bobby, Bobby De Niro. Oh, that was a bloody train wreck, that yeah, movie. That was awful. Oh, Jesus Christ. I think, again, you know, he hadn't directed for a while. I hadn't directed many movies. And this was a case of, you know, being able to hang out in France, in, probably in the south of France, um, in a very in a very nice location and just chill out and have nice din-dins with uh, Robert De Niro, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I think that. I, I think I saw them doing that on like the behind the scenes of that movie. That they, they, and that's kind of his impetus, like, let's have a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, one of the things that I hated about this movie the first time I saw it is actually one of the things that I valued about it this time, which was that it's it's really just a bunch of goofy fun, right? I mean, I didn't I didn't expect it to be a comedy, but it's really kind of a big sci-fi goofball comedy, isn't it? Mm. Not mm-hmm. much of it is intended to be taken too seriously. You know what it reminds you know what me of in, in terms of uh, in terms of other movies is uh, Total Recall. Which is comic in a lot yeah, of places. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's that sort of cartoony yeah, look to it. Total, um, it's got a sort of cartoony look, and they're off going over mm-hmm. other planets. Sorry, T, I interrupted you. Well, I was going to say, 
peep this you know who was influenced by this movie is uh old uh joss whedon and this is the blueprint for firefly there you go what (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to push some buttons (laughs) Uh Mm uh-huh speaking of similar movies um the opening to this and the opening to stargate i get confused with and I wonder if oh. there's that much difference, isn't? Because an opening to Stargate also set in Egypt. I, like that was that was the first note I made that yeah. this is same era. This like I, I don't know why in the '90s they had kind of mid tier kind of science fiction movies, and this is both of mm. these are kind of that mid tier to me. Where I I don't remember them like they were Star Wars, which is clearly a big budget, well respected kind of kind of film franchise. Um, but it's it's also clearly not. It's not campy schlock like like Flash Gordon, which kind of goes more for completely goes for giggles. Like this has shootouts and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Boy, does anybody look as good as Bruce Willis when he's firing a gun at somebody? The the last half of this movie, when it turns into a big kind of sci-fi diehard thing at the <laughs> opera house, I was getting the rush. It, that's good times right there. I like seeing Bruce Willis shoot some people up and jump over blockades and get stuff exploded in his face the first thing i noticed noticed when uh, bruce willis came on screen is i just wonder whether he couldn't decide whether he's bald at that point yeah (laughs) bruce willis is almost bald in the fifth element (laughs) um you know who we haven't talked much about yet is lilu dallas multipass (laughs) and i really really loved her in this movie i thought she was great and i don't know if it's because i'm i'm coming off of a decade of seeing her lemon face sourpuss and six words per movie in (laughs) resident evil yeah but she was super charismatic and cute and animated and um intriguing i thought she was really good Mm, yeah she doesn't have a lot to do in terms of the story though does she i don't know She's sort well, of background. It all revolves around her, but she's kind of decoration, that. decoration. I think a lot of the time, I know, I know it rolls rolls around her, but in terms of her actual actual yeah, involvement in Millie, the action, Millie Joe is is yeah. decoration in every single movie. Going back to Dazed and Confused, she's just a little decoration there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ian Holm is a Jedi, isn't he? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Liam kept insisting that that was Alec Guinness. I, I was trying to make him. I was trying to make him guess who it was, and he he couldn't get it. And uh, he finally settled on Obi Wan Kenobi. And I, I told him, "No, it's Bilbo," and he he wouldn't he wouldn't budge. Nope, that's Obi Wan well, Kenobi. If you, if you squint, he's like a little Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. the The irony there is that um, the the two sort of production designers they hired to design the movie's look were a couple of uh, French comic book. Um, artist one's called mobius i think that's jean girard and then there's another guy whose name i keep forgetting um but they one of the guys one of those guys did a um graphic novel series i think in the 70s and um allegedly um uh, uh george lucas nicked a lot of those designs not necessarily the story but the designs the looks of those characters and used them in star wars and there are interviews with george lucas where in his like library and behind him you see bound editions of those comic books so so that's an interesting thing so rather than them stealing the jedi from george lucas maybe it was the other way around i don't know scandalous Mm. 
Um, who was talking about Jodorowsky? Somebody was talking about Jodorowsky the other day. I don't know how, if anyone's seen that one. Yeah, that was, that was me. <clears throat> Did you see that one yet? Jodorowsky's Dune? I have not. I, I, I have acquired it, but I haven't had time to watch it yet. Because Jodorowsky also wrote, um, I don't know whether it was a movie treatment, but he wrote something with one of these guys. I think with Jean Giraud, or maybe it's the other guy. Um, Jean-Claude Meziers. Um, and uh, they wrote a f- they wrote some kind of book or movie treatment, and it was very similar to Fifth Element, and, they, and Jodorowsky sued, but then lost. Because there, there was, well, I say it was very similar. The court said it wasn't similar at all. <laughs> so he lost. <laughs> <laughs> The special effects are really impressive, I thought. Even now, they pretty much hold up, don't you think? Well, most sure. of them. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Some of the, like, when the when the cab's flying around in cartoon land, that's kind of silly. Yeah, but I think that almost works because of the, the aesthetic. It's such a bright, candy-colored, that's true. goofy-looking thing anyway. I think it kind of works. Mm-hmm. This movie, uh, it definitely helps that they filmed it in London and... I, I hope I'm not saying this wrong. Merit, Meritania? Mauritania, yeah, yeah. Mauritania standing in for Egypt, right? Well, well, I'm I'm from America. I don't need to know other countries, but <laughs> it definitely shows up on the screen that they didn't film this on like some Hollywood backlot. Well, I don't know where the London thing comes in because that would all have been uh, it, it was all shot on stages in like the in Pinewood, like the 007 stage. I think he's five stages in total. They spent a shitload mm. of money, though. I mean, that really shows on the screen, I think. Um, there's that bit where they blew up something. You know, they blew up uh, some sort of palace thingy at the end. And I've, I was, I could have sworn that was a miniature, which is un- unfortunate because apparently it was the biggest indoor explosion in history <laughs> and nearly burnt <laughs> down the studio and nearly burnt down the uh, building. So <laughs> perhaps they could have done it with a miniature. I don't know. Well, well nobody's perfect. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, the note I made. The note I made about the uh, about the um, the flying cabs was that it, it went from really nice special effects to like yellow submarine with the Beatles. Movie. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Oh Jesus, what's this cartoon shit? You know what? Yeah. I found it comforting that in the future, when cars fly, they still squeal out when they take off or when they <laughs> when they take a tight corner. Uh, going back to Steege's point about it being shot in Britain. Um, there are tons of British actors in this. Some of them trying to do American accents, some of them not bothering. There's one guy who does a, who's basically got a West Country accent, like a yokel accent, which is pretty funny. Um, and Lee Evans, who's kind of the spiritual successor to um, like Harold Lloyd or Norman Wisdom over here, he plays um, this wacky sort of guy dressed as a sailor as well. And it's weird. Is he the guy with the sticky out ears? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Lee Evans. Um, he's a huge comedian now. He's like sells out arenas and stuff. He's ridiculous. Mm. Like fucking hell, look, it's Lee Evans playing an idiot sailor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I tell you who has the the most annoying voice in this movie is uh, one of your countrymen named Tricky, the rapper. Yeah, Um, I think he's the guy I was talking about with the. I think he's the guy playing with the West Country accent, the yokel accent. I think. Yeah, he has. He needs to get that phlegm out of his throat. I just cut a, a little <laughs> clip here. Everything's going as planned. All I have to do now is go to the airport, take his place, and I'll be in Flushing less in four hours. <laughs> it's horrible. Don't come back without the stones. <laughs> it's horrible. He's, he's not bothered at all, has he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about Gary Oldman then? Gary Oldman doing like a Ross Perot who meets somebody. Uh, he, he wasn't. He wasn't that bad. I mean, it's kind of kind of a strange accent in the setting of this movie, but 
uh, it wasn't terrible. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, I, I, I will add, I have no idea why he was doing that either, but it was kind of, it's like, oh, this is kind of neat. It's unique. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> Keep getting those checks, Gary Old. Make with the voices, Gary. Come on. Is he is he one of our one of the, our our favorite actors of this generation? Like, I know he's in Batman. I know he is a tinker and a soldier and a spy. Um, and a tailor. What he was in in Leon the Professional. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what else is he good in? Like, is he a is he a good actor? Oh, Sid um, and Nancy. No, Luke Besson. Uh, in this, I watched a few of the behind the scenes thingies, and um. He said that Gary Oldman was one of the best actors in the world. Then he said that they were kind of busy mates, like BFFs, um, and he agreed to do the film without seeing the script. But last year, in 2014, when asked about Fifth Element, Gary Oldman said, uh, I'm going to quote him here. He said, it was me singing for my supper because Luke had come in and partly financed my uh, my movie, Neil by Mouth. So Neil by Mouth was a, a really... Um, critically well-received um it, very tiny indie movie that he directed uh back in the day so perhaps they're not busy mates anymore well i mean luc besson basically made gary oldman's <laughs> career right uh he was he, he, yeah he, he wasn't he was in sid nancy which is you know here he's no doing, i wasn't gonna but, say that i think his career was doing pretty well he was kind of rising through the ranks um oh that yeah. was a very good JFK, role for Italy, him harvey oswald and jfk and Dracula yeah. and Dracula. That oh, was a true really good romance. Role he, was, in, uh, he was great in, in True Romance. In Leon, that was a great, great role for him. Yeah, so Leon, Leon yeah. is a Luc Besson joint. I think you could more say with, with Leon, it was more of a showcase of his acting skills rather than just, you know, it wasn't like propelling him into the consciousness. It was more kind of like, look what I can do. Um, so it may have helped. Well, let's not forget his hilarious turn in friends i think he was in two episodes of friends the two-parter <laughs> where uh chandler and monica got married and he played the actor who spits on joey and is drunk all the time <laughs> no idea what you're talking about no idea i familiar. saw two tins of tuna <laughs> <laughs> no idea what you're talking about i don't remember that one at all <laughs> he tells joey that a good actor spits on other actors oh uh, okay <laughs> And then Joey puts a, a oh, turkey on his head and wanders around the apartment. <laughs> that's that's on the British version of Friends. It's on Nate. Yeah, isn't it in the the original British version where it's much better? Don't they have that scene as well? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, if you're a if you're a purist about comedy sitcoms, then you could say that you could say that Friends is kind of a a more huggy version of uh, Seinfeld, isn't it? Whether because uh, mm. Seinfeld they said no hugs, no learning. I we can't get this debate with Paul because he's in love with Friends. So. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that comparison does get made because Friends and Seinfeld were both huge at the same time. But I think they're very, very different kinds of shows. I mean, obviously they are, but I don't think yeah, they're... Seinfeld's kind of great and Friends, Friends is not so great. <laughs> <laughs> if I were to make one comparison between them, it might be that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Paul's going to hang up now. <laughs> You know what? It's a shame because I watched this film a couple of weeks ago when we first decided to do it. And I watched it with the trivia track on and there were all kinds of neat little tidbits, but I didn't write any of them down because I thought, oh, it'll be I'll I'll remember all this stuff. I don't remember any of it. (laughs) So that's my piece of trivia. (laughs) 
Is there a tr- is that on the Blu-ray the trivia track? Yeah, uh, it's right. like a pop-up. Well, not even a pop-up video thing, but it's just uh, text text trivia across the bottom of the screen. I think they put and that in there because the original US Blu-ray basically had no fucking extras. I don't know what else they put in there, but there's fuck all on there. I think. No, that was it. That was yeah. the only thing that was on there. Here's a little piece of trivia. Um, David, the apprentice priest of Father Vito, is Billy Kimber from Neil, your countryman, your country's favorite show, Peaky Blinders. <laughs> I, was, I don't want Peaky Blinders. I don't watch Peaky Blinders. I don't watch Peaky Blinders. Are you watching? You must be watching it because you keep talking about it, right? My name's Celia Murphy. I'm in a fucking Peaky Blinders, mate. <laughs> That's pretty dumb. Okay. Um. <laughs> I was I was actually surprised when I looked this up on Wikipedia. I did not realize that this was such a hit. Um, mm. I was only like I was thirteen when this came out, um, and I I actually thought it was just oh th- that's a nice movie. I didn't realize it made. Well, it was. I I feel like it was probably made a lot of money internationally, mm-hmm. um, which probably helped it get to two hundred sixty three million. Yeah, it was on a ninety almost, million budget, almost exactly sixty three million in the US, and then two hundred million outside the US mm-hmm. on a uh, ninety million dollar budget, and allegedly the the eighty million of that was special effects. Because uh, old Brucey, the original budget was twenty. It was a hundred. Sorry, the original budget was a hundred million, and Brucey took a pay cut to to do the movie because he would have been paid mm. a lot more. Probably got points on the deal. Oh, let's hope so for him. You know, poor poor Bruce. Why do you suppose he did that? The Fifth Element was originally uh, proposed to the studios by Luc Besson before Leon, and they went, "You must be joking. We're not doing this movie for hundred million dollars." Then Leon comes out. And makes a shitload of money, and the studios go, "Okay, you can make it, but we're still not going to do it for 100 million." So, you know, for whatever reason, they said 90 million. And that meant they couldn't afford Bruce, and so uh, Besson went to Bruce and said, "Sorry, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to go with a cheaper actor." And he went, "Let me read the script." He read the script and said, "I can't do it." Hmm. Wow. Well, well, Bruce Willis is, you know, such a nice guy. Yeah, he's got a little rep, hasn't he? Have you heard all those stories about him and? Uh, on uh was it was that yeah, cops kevin thing smith. with kevin smith yeah. yeah that's a real bummer about him because he's he's been one of my favorite actors for many many years and you see him i don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago there were some videos that came out of him being a dick to interviewers i think oh. one of them was british actually and it was so hard to watch i don't know about that it may probably not the same thing but there's a radio show i was listening to when he did when he was doing some press and um the guy who does all the interviews uh, was actually the news guy on the radio show. And he does he does these funny interviews where he doesn't... He talks about the movie for a bit and then he asks stupid questions like, what's your favourite fruit and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, most people have a bit of a laugh with it because if you're at these press junkets where they're at a hotel for like all day, you get bored with the same fucking questions over and over. So he... So Dominic, is the news guy, would go in and ask silly questions and usually the actors would respond well. Like, it's a break for them because they don't have right. to keep ask, answering the same questions. Bruce Willis, on the other hand, did not want to play ball, and he was like, I think one of the worst, one of the worst uh, actors he'd ever uh, had to deal with. So, yeah, there have been a couple of those that were just super, super squirmy to mm. sit through, and it's a huge bummer because he's so charismatic on screen, and I think Bruce Willis is underrated as an actor too. Not that this is a good example of that, but I think he's underrated <laughs> as an actor. Hmm. Yeah. 
I don't, because I, there's some actors who like, um, what's his face? The guy that got bloated, who was in Tombstone. Um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yeah, Val there's Kilmer. some actors like Val Kilmer who are so difficult to work with that people just won't bother. Um, and I imagine that Bruce doesn't quite fall into that. And I imagine that also because he's was certainly was such a big star, people had to overlook that and just cast him anyway to to get the movie greenlit or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with Bruce Willis, but just speaking of random notes, this movie has one of my biggest pet peeves. You don't see it all that often in movies, but every time I see it, it drives me crazy. And that's people who make animal noises. <laughs> what? You don't like mouth people making noises with their mouth at all anyway. I'm surprised you like speak, yeah. you're happy with people talking. Uh, so where was this in the movie? <laughs> this is when when we very first meet Lilu when they, they build her up out of the, the little robot hand. And uh, um, what's his what's his lip from Blade Runner goes up and starts tapping on the glass and telling her, you need to work on your communication skills with this little <laughs> tiny, skinny Van Dyke. And she stares <laughs> yeah. at him through the glass and makes tiger sounds. She like goes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it never it never works ever because you people can't make those sounds. And so it just sounds like someone's standing next to her playing a tape recorder of a tiger. What do you say to your oh. cat then when you're talking to your cat, Paul? Because you've got a cat, haven't you? I have two do you, cats. Do you talk human language to your cat? Of course, like it's a dog. Yes. What? What kind of question is that? Well, what if it's <laughs> what, what if it's time for cat 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 din din's time? Because most people most people go just go kitty kitty. Mm-hmm. No, none of that. Little snooky. Paul, what kind of cat do you have? <laughs> um, She's an Egyptian Nile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, uh, nice that's to a hear. good one, TB. <laughs> 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 cats. 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 Wow. Yeah, sorry, sorry, uh, Paul. You're talking about your cat. Cat chat. Nice it's cat chat. The best Paul. movie you've ever reviewed. <laughs> Steve wanted to know what kind of cat you got. I don't know. It's fat. It's no, I, I didn't. And stupid. I didn't actually. I I just knew that brisket you had that clip chamber. Okay. Cue him up. Cue him up. I don't care about your stinking cat. <laughs> Paul, you did mention that uh, humans can't make those noise noises. Mm. I have you ever seen a little documentary called Police Academy? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Uh. Yeah. yeah, I guess I forgot about that. What's your policy on uh, the guy from Police Academy? Michael Winslow, why don't you say his name, Neil? Because I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> Give him a dollar. What's he doing now? Is he still around? I thought he had a show in Vegas last I heard. <sighs> Where presumably he just stands on the stage and makes sounds. <laughs> Pretty much. I I do have um one of the file trading sites had a stand-up performance of him from like the 80s, and it is pretty much that. <laughs> he used to sell uh cds or tapes it was just tracks of him making noise like you could skip to like police siren or whatever it is yeah which kind of it it kind of loses its effect when you can't see him when it's just right. a, when it's just a cd <laughs> i mean it's the same thing when uh there's a famous there's some beatboxers who release cds and it's like well why bother this is just a cd then <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, you know, that it happens in one of my favorite movies, which is Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. And they have several instances in that 
thing where he makes a sound like a giraffe or a tiger or a hippopotamus or whatever. And it just but giraffe it, sound. It's, oh, you know, giraffes. I don't know what giraffe sounds like. I'm a giraffe. Oh, look at me. I got a big neck. I'm a giraffe. Oh. What's that noise? That, what's the Tarzan yell then? What's that? An animal? Is that an animal? No, that's a. Uh, I think that's just a uh, Johnny Weissmuller. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what that's supposed to be. It's just some sort of shouting. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, was that Captain Caveman? Or no, that was, Cap- was Captain that Caveman. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's slightly different. It was Captain Caveman. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Steve is the expert in seventies uh, and eighties. Pop culture, right, Steve? Not really at all. Was, <laughs> <laughs> Apart from I was when you bring bo- it up, I was I wasn't even born. There was a whole topic about it. That's true, but as- <laughs> there you go. Oh, that was me doing it perfectly there. Everybody always remembers that blue opera singer from the movie, mm-hmm. um, and it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to have that blue opera singer. And they remember that song with like the 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 techno beats on the opera track mm-hmm. but uh the music overall the music in this movie was pretty terrible there's a lot of generic mm. yeah i didn't i didn't mind it too much there was kind of an it's kind of an audio assault on your senses if you uh it, it, if you if you're watching on um on a nice screen and with some nice sound it, it's pretty much it's pretty impressive actually it's pretty much an assault on the senses mm-hmm. the whole thing really uh, interesting piece of trivia about that blues singer was that she was with Luc Besson when they were making this movie. Mm-hmm. And on the trivia track, it was a little funny how they played it out because they mentioned first that he and her were together. Then they mentioned that the made up language that Lilu speaks was worked out by Luc Besson and Mila Jovovich together. Mm-hmm. And it took them so many hundreds of hours. And then they mentioned that like six months later, Luc Besson and Mila Jovovich got married. So apparently, yeah. while this lady was on stage practicing her song for the movie, uh, him and her were uh, in the trailer working out their language. Yeah. You know, Millie, Millie Joe likes those directors. Mm-hmm. Well, she likes anybody she works with. She ran away with one of her co-stars from Dazed and Confused and got eloped with him. Yeah, I read that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Blue Alien Lady is uh, a girl called My My Wen, I think her name is, on My Wen. And um, they were together. They had a kid. Um, they started dating when she was 15 and he was 32 and she had his kid when she was 16. Awesome. He's a cool dude. And then dumped her for, uh, Milia Jovovich. I will say, um, she is in the, uh, Diane Lane all-stars to me where she looks better as she ages. Hmm. Mila or the other lady? Oh, Mila. Mm. Oh, she can't, she can't be that old now. She was 21 when she did this, something like that. 20, 21. She is uh, 39 now. 38, 39, yeah. and, and I think, well, also, obviously, obviously she's kind of eh, oddly attired throughout the fifth element. Oh, with the, um, what I call them, uh, undages, a combination of undies and bandages, undages. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and also she's, she's wearing like a, a Chucky wig for the movie, which is <laughs> a little tough to get past. <laughs> I mean, I still would. But 
Well, originally they dyed her hair, but her hair started falling out because they kept having to dye it. And so they uh, started to chuck a wig on there. Yeah. Um, was it, did we talk about this already? That apparently she has in her contract that every film she stars in, she has to appear naked in the first scene. Yeah. Mm. It's a good good clause in your contract. Yeah, this this is a, a PG-13 movie, and you get to see a little nip action, right? Yeah. Mm. Now, did you watch the whole thing with uh, with your young son then, uh, Paul? <laughs> I did, yeah, actually there I did. There wasn't a heck of a uh, lot to see, though, was there, really? Is he no, a man I'm, now? I, 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 as mentioned, watched this a couple of weeks ago, so I knew what was coming up, and I just had him had him close his eyes. <laughs> Um, although i have to say i forgot that she kept that's a very very christian view of movies that you have there praise jesus (laughs) well i figure if he's gonna learn about this sort of thing i don't want it to be from the fifth element let's at least get a good movie in place yeah make sure it's when he's hanging out with his hanging out with his chums at their house and watching uh dodgy (laughs) stuff on the internet right yeah you know what uh it's funny (laughs) speaking of him (laughs) dear god (laughs) Uh, was that movie Corolla always complains about his parents bringing him to Papillon or? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'd smell yeah, a rape there. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that. <laughs> That's bad. Dustin Hoffman getting Ainley raped or vice versa. No, not vice versa, I don't think. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, old, the old anal rape and vice versa scene. <laughs> um, during the scene with the uh, opera singer, <laughs> Liam said to me, wouldn't it be awesome if people could really sing like that? And I said, uh, people really can sing like that, Bob. She's an opera singer. And he said, oh, I want to go to the opera. <laughs> oh, boy. Actually, that was, yeah. So they, that, she, that was dubbed by a real opera singer. And she couldn't sing that. that um, uh, something to do with the changing of the pitch at such high speed. So they recorded little sections and then uh, glued them together. Little snippets? Snippets, yeah. Or overdubbed. Hey, what was the I so one of the things that I lost track of during this, why was the the Triforce in this movie? Because we kept seeing that image <laughs> over and over, but there were five elements and four natural no, ones. No, the Triforce and, was the three planets aligning in a, uh, a solar eclipse to create the portal. Oh, there, wait, there was a portal? Yeah, that's where the uh, <laughs> ultimate evil black planet came out of. <laughs> Oh, right. So every 300 years, they line up and he comes barreling out of there. Every 5,000 years. Does he respawn every 5,000 years? Or does yeah. it, once he's dead, is that it? Apparently, he needs a little uh, couple couple centuries to recuperate until he can try again. You know, he never mm. gives up. He has mm. some, some good work ethic. Like, I wonder if he can maintain telephone contact while he's in there or only after it opens. Well, he, he, he get, still gets uh, two bars inside the black hole. <laughs> Hello, you have reached the ultimate evil. I'm not able to get through the portal at this time. Did uh, did they borrow that portal from uh, Kurt Russell then? Is that how it works? No. That hole? Kurt Russell? We have to wait until 2897 to get the fifth element too. What year was um, Stargate? Was that 98? Something like that. Uh, 94. I just... Oh, 94, was it really? Oh, right. Yeah, I just looked it up because I I wasn't sure which um which movie came first, mm. but Stargate is kind of uh if the Fifth Element has fun with itself, Stargate does not really have fun with itself. Mm-hmm. True, yeah, or anyone else. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a Roland Emmerich film. I feel like he's not as it's not as fun of a dude. 
I think I, I'm overdue for a, a Stargate rewatch because I remember liking it a lot, but I'm, I am a fan of the uh, ancient alien type movies <clears throat> where they're building the pyramids for us and and making <laughs> holes in, in our pyramids so they can slip in, slip into our holes. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that, TB. Who's slipping into whose holes? Uh, you know, the ancient aliens. Oh, okay. Yeah, everyone knows that... Uh... Us humans are just here on the uh, on the blue marble because some Egyptians put us here, mm-hmm. and Egyptians were aliens. Roland Emmerich he did uh, Independence Day day after tomorrow, did he? Same. Mm-hmm. Yep. Godzilla ninety eight. No. Oh yeah. God, we just watched Godzilla ninety eight. Why? Two nights ago. Why? I don't know. I think I've told the story before on this, maybe on this show. Uh, I went and saw Godzilla 98 on my birthday with a whole group of people. And I went out to go to the bathroom middle of the film. And usually you go running out there. I walked out to the bathroom and I, I stopped in the lobby and played video games for about 20 minutes and then went back into the film. (laughs) Yeah, that's not a good sign. Oh, God, that movie's so bad. The Puff Daddy song was pretty good. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is the best thing about Godzilla '98 is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Had some yeah, had some rage on there. Hewn from Raw by Puff Daddy. By P Diddy, he completely made that song up by himself. Very artistic. <laughs> you know, I used to know every word to that song. Or maybe it's a case of him <laughs> no ability to create. <laughs> hear my cry, hear my call, lend me your ear, see my fault, see my error. No, <laughs> <laughs> what was that pretty he ruined a bloody police song as well didn't he was it every breath you take he ruined yeah, yeah it was yeah. about biggie small was it about biggie smalls fucking hell wait what do you mean he ruined it it was a that was <laughs> like a, a, a yeah well the original song by the way is about you know him stalking a lady stalking yeah <laughs> okay yeah There's i like about it him being uh, being uh, eye raped by his school kids because he used to be a teacher <laughs> Young teacher, the classroom. Yeah, don't, don't stand so close. Yeah, to that's me. the one. Yeah, oh, that's a different one, isn't it? Yeah. I like yeah, it when hip hop artists do that because I don't. Then I can feel cool. I'll be and like, Roxanne, oh yeah, I like that Puff Daddy song. Roxanne, their first hit was about a whore. There's a bit of a, a bit of a sort of trend there with the police songs. I I I, I didn't want to say this, but I think some musicians might be sexist. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Not sexy, sexist. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being sexy. Which brings us to Teeb's hottest women of the movie. Do you want to rate the different? Uh, How Stuart dare assisting? you! I do not rate women based <laughs> oh, on sorry. their appearance. <laughs> this is incredulous. Do you are you going to rate the individual uh, air hostesses dressed in blue? Inconceivable. I you know Millie Joe is a great actress. Uh, blue opera lady is a great singer. Um, but that being said. Um, coming in at number three, we have Blue Opera Singer. <laughs> number two, we have Lulu Multipass. And number one, the collective flight attendant group. Man. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, yeah. Except the one that I'm pretty sure was a guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I seem to remember being there. Dodgy looking one, yeah. They, it looked like all the others, but his voice was really low. Who's that woman who's in uh, uh, 
Neil Montepass. No, uh, <laughs> who's the one who's in Montepass. SNL who's also in Bridesmaids? Who's that one? Montepass. Kristen Wig. No, the other one. Oh, actually, they're all. Oh, sorry. There's loads of SNL ones. Oh, never mind. Forget it. Maya Rudolph. They look like Maya Rudolph. Yeah, Maya Rudolph. Yeah. There you go. That's right. They one of them looks like Maya Rudolph a bit. They're all they're all of ambiguous race, right? Mm -hmm. All the flight attendants. Mm -hmm. Corolla would say they're all caramel colored. He likes that, doesn't he? He's got a thing for that. I like it. That's why. That's why they're coming in at number one. (laughs) (laughs) A collective number one. Yeah. I don't judge. I don't judge uh, people individually. I judge them as a group. Ooh. Excellent, uh, excellent non-sexist uh, summary there. Thank you very much. This was a movie that I feel like should have had whores in it. You know, a lot of sci- <laughs> futuristic sci-fi space movies have horse. like space, space whores. Yeah, yeah. And if this movie was missing that, you say that about every movie. <laughs> Gone with the wind. Why aren't there any whores in this? You know, that was that was what was missing in Interstellar as well. Space horse. <laughs> um, they had to, well, they're heading towards space hookups, weren't they? Weren't they? If uh, I don't know who who was um, Catwoman after, she was after somebody, wasn't she? I, I wasn't really paying that much attention. Um, but um, there's a interesting space hall um, subplot in uh, Predestination, which I recommend to everybody. Um, that's quite interesting. Never even heard of that. Oh, it's a fantastic. If you like your, um, did, was it you I was talking about on about um, Primer? The uh, indie Primer? movie Primer, Primer. Not, maybe I don't remember. I know about Primer, but uh, oh no, it's Eric Marshall, wasn't it on your on one of uh, one of ours? But um, yeah, if you like Primer TV, you got to watch Predestination. I will. I love. You got I love, to. I love Brilliant. Primer. Yeah, I can't say any more about it, but it does have space holes in it. Oh yeah, now that he knows that there's space holes in it, he's not going to be able to resist. I I was kind of curious. How does the economy work in the fifth element world? Since apparently there are there are still taxis, there are walks in the Asian cuisine guys going from door to door, just you know talking to you about your day and making your lunch, handing out um, fortune. There's in space movies. There's always science fiction. There's always space credits, aren't there? But nobody knows where they come from. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, did anybody else wonder if there was? Uh, if the, if this movie was trying to make a nod or two to uh, Blade Runner, because they had yeah, the, I was going to say the what guys, from, what guys are pretty similar, weren't they? Yeah, and plus the whole like, I guess maybe it's sort of a trope that that maybe Blade Runner started. I can't really say, but where the future is just this sort of overwhelming wash of bright noises, bright noises and colors, loud colors. <laughs> Where you're just sort of lost in this sea of mass marketing, but there was like the walkie guy, you know, serving noodles, and the they had the um, I can never remember the guy's name, but the actor who died that was in both movies. Oh, I I definitely got a uh, total recall feel with all of the um, like especially with the McDonald's mm-hmm. ad placement. Although I don't think they called it McDonald's, I think they called it something else, like Golden Arches. Yeah, but it had to be McDonald's. I mean, it was that was legitimately the McDonald's logo. Mm-hmm. No, that was yeah. That had to be because if they hadn't had permission, they would have got into trouble for ripping it off. I think yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interestingly, the guy you know, there's a cop who wanted to. They stopped off a fast food. He gets his stuff, gets the two drinks. Bruce Willis flies by and knocks the drinks out of his hand. Then those two cops then make chase and then crash into the huge McDonald's truck thingy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That cop's name, his the actor's name is Mac McDonald. 
<laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's called uh, nominative determinism, where your name it's determines your uh, your role. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian James. That's the guy whose name I can never remember. Brian James was the actor. And uh, he delivers almost every one of his lines with his mouth hanging open in this movie. I couldn't tell if he was intentionally trying to be funny or if he's just a bad actor. But every line he delivered. Is he the what's a, tur- what's a tortoise? Is he that guy in uh, Blade Runner? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, he had that little thin white Van Dyke in this movie. And he was wearing a beret through the whole thing. I think the best character in this movie, in the entire movie, he was only in one scene. And it was the robot barkeep. You want some more? I don't even remember that. You want some more? What about the little elephant, colorful elephant guy underneath Zorg's desk who couldn't save him? Oh yeah, he's cute. <laughs> oh, that was Liam's favorite guy in the movie. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was like straight out of the bloody Flintstones, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like having a pelican as a waste disposal. <laughs> Hey, does anybody know who did the um, all the practical puppetry for this movie? Because there was a lot. Yeah, two guys named Nick. I can't be any more specific than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they, list, they didn't list. I don't think they listed production company credits uh, for the the digital digital stuff was Digital Domain, which mm-hmm. which was uh, James Cameron's company. Um, mm. But the practical effects, I'm not sure where they had a company. Probably did actually. Seems like most of the props from this movie are still hanging out in uh, the Gaumont Museum, hmm. which I don't know where that's located, but that kept popping up on the trivia track every mm-hmm. time something was on screen. This prop is located in the Gaumont Museum. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like the Frenchies wrote that trivia track, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's all we have time for this week. I'm off to find my multipass. If you enjoy the show, why not rate and review us on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at DFSMC Podcast and visit compendiapodcast.com if you're into the indie movies. My thanks this week go to Time for Scale Movie Club members, Todd Brisket. I didn't come here to play Pumbaa on the radio. Thank you to Paul C. Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to Stephen Greenwell. Quiver, ladies, quiver. <laughs> <laughs>